encounter one in either one of the side hallways. Awesome. Well, hey, this morning, we are thrilled because we have a special guest with us today. And I think it's awesome anytime we have a special guest because usually the guests that we have here in our church are a reflection of the friendships that we have outside of this church. And Pastor Kenneth Mulkey has been with us multiple times before in the past. He's a part of the pastoral staff at Cottonwood Church in Orange County, which is our sister church. And you've, if you've been here at the bridge for a while, you might know of Pastor Bayless Conley and Joel Holm, who come here from Cottonwood. And Pastor Kenneth is on the, the pastoral team there at Cottonwood. And we're so thrilled that he's here with us this morning. And I was talking to him before service, and I said, what is your official title, Kenneth? What is it that we can, I can introduce you as? And he said, Man, I'm just one of the pastors. I'm just one of the pastors at Cottonwood. He said, if you want to call me the Dark Knight, if you want to call me Black Panther, you can do that too. But listen, I just want you to know that I'm proud to be able to call him my friend. Because this is a good man who's coming to share an awesome word this morning, and we are thrilled to have him. So I want to ask if you put your hands together this morning and give a big bridge welcome to Pastor Kenneth Mulkey as he comes to share today. Thank you, Pastor Zach. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be in God's house this morning. You were supposed to say yes. (laughs) You were supposed to like, that was your shouting moment right there, and you kind of missed it, but hopefully there will be other moments this morning when you know it's time to shout and to praise and to say amen, and you guys will do that. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's been a little while since I've been here. And um, just love your pastors, love your team, love this church. You guys are in an awesome church. You have awesome pastors and leaders here. I hope you know that. And I just want to say thank you for being here this morning on this Sunday. It's Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day. And thanks to everybody who is volunteering and serving in this house as well. They're heroes, and we appreciate always everyone who serves. And so I want to bring you some warm love and greetings from your sister church, Cottonwood, down in Orange County. I'm on vacation right now. I've been on vacation, and what do you do when you're on vacation? You go and preach somewhere (laughs) when you're a preacher. And so Pastor Gary and I will be talking about this a little bit later, and we'll just have some bro time, and we'll talk about that and get that all sussed out. Anyway, um, just are you glad to be in God's house? Okay. And I know I already said that, but I'm excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited. I have something on my heart that I want to share with you. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 41 in a moment from now as we pray. And then I want to give you some introductory thoughts to try to help guide us into where we're going to go. And I just trust the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning So would you mind joining me in a moment of prayer? Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we have to lean in and listen to your word. We pray that you, by your word and by the Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts and renew our minds and that you would edify us, wash us with the water of the word, give us revelation and illumination so that we can see, we can hear, and then we can live out by faith what we have learned. Thank you, Father, for meeting every need in this church and in this house today and drawing everyone closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you know that everything you need in life comes from God, but everything you need in life doesn't come only from God. It also comes through people. It comes through relationships. I love your mission statement, connecting with God and connecting with people. 
And one of the great gifts we have in life is not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with people. And not only do we have relationships with people, but one of the dynamics that has kind of come to the forefront right around since 2011 is this dynamic of generations. It's been a huge topic of generational dynamics because of the fact that in 2011, it was the first year where five generations were uh, listed as working in the workforce. And with this dynamic of generational relationships, there have also come some differences and some challenges. It continues to be researched and studied and talked about because we're in the midst of a changing and diverse world generationally. I want to just uh, ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to list just different generations, and if you were born during the time that I state, I want you to raise your hand up high, okay? And don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand up high, okay? I know some of you are 29 and holding, but still, raise your hand up. <laughs> so there's five generations I want to list to you. The first one is known as the GI generation or the veterans. They were born between 1930 and 1945. All right, let's give it up for them. These individuals were born during a depression. There was a war that was fought. Sacrifices were made, but we won the war. People pulled together. And because of that, this generation is marked by a conservative mindset, fiscal prudence, loyalty to their employees, and prudence. Now we have the baby boomers. There's two dynamics of baby boomers. There's the older, and then there's the younger. The older were born between 1946 and 1954. Okay? Then the younger ones were born between 1955 and 1964. Okay, let's give it up for baby boomers. Baby boomers experienced the results of the war and the financial growth that ensued afterwards. Therefore, there was a large number of homeowners and those who were going to school because of the GI Bill. This generation is marked by ambition, strong work ethic, loyalty to employees, um, being able to multitask, and things of that nature. Baby boomers go boom. <laughs> then there's Generation X those who were born between 1965 and 1976. Okay, a lot of Gen Xers. A lot of same things that baby boomers experience, but Gen Xers had two parents working. Why? Because they were trying to achieve financial stability and success. Therefore, when these kids got off of school, they came home and parents weren't there. They were known as the latchkey kids. And therefore, they, were, they would come home from school and they would make themselves their own snack and they had to go ahead and self-manage and get their homework done and do their chores and a lot of stuff they did by themselves. So this particular generation is highly independent. Highly independent. Gen X. Then following Gen X is Gen Y. Those who were born between 1977 and 1992, where are you? Okay. Great mix of generations here in the church. This, some, some things happened in this generation. Not bad things, just different things. The, the, the parenting style shifted in this particular generation. 
Whereas before, if you did something, you know, you would get a spanking. Um, or you would hear statements like I heard when I was growing up, I brought you in the world, and I will take you out. Like almost every day or every other day. <laughs> I didn't hear not, not that often, but I did hear it. You know, and I began to believe it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the parents. So parenting style shifted. So in this particular generation, the idea of timeouts were introduced. This generation had rapid communication access via the internet and the web. Therefore, they are highly astute when it comes to social and global issues. Extremely conscious of the global environment. Open-minded and accepting differences in race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation because of their social consciousness and their being able to get information easily. In 2011, it was discovered and discussed that this particular generation is the first generation that doesn't need authority to get information because they can get it on the web. So they don't need to ask someone what about, they just go and Google it and get that information. Then there's Generation Z, also known as the Digital Natives, 1996 and forward. Anybody here? Oh, we have them. All right, go ahead. Gen, a, Gen a Z. So we have these different generations that are in God's house. And sometimes these differences can create challenges. But differences aren't supposed to pull us apart. Differences are supposed to bring us together. That was when you're supposed to say amen. You missed it, but it'll come back around. Because, see, we have to understand what the Bible says. And the Bible lets us know that our God is a generational God. He is the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac, and he is the God of Jacob. In the New Testament, there are three different spiritual distinctives. Children, young men, and fathers. And then the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is poured out upon your young men, your sons and daughters, and your older men. So we see that God wants to do things generationally, and all of us need to work together to that end. So I'm going to talk to you about three particular stages out of the life of Jesus, and we're going to learn from Jesus how he interacted generationally with those who were not in his current season or generation that he was actually particularly in. Three stages we're going to talk about. The preparation stage. Say it the production stage, and the planted stage. So let's talk about the preparation stage, and in order to do so, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? 
Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Verse 52, please. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the preparation stage of Jesus's life. In the Jewish mindset, 12 years old was the age of accountability. It was much, it's much like our young people today turning 18, kind of entering into this, this phase and season of being an adult. What do we learn from Jesus in this particular stage in his life? He was with his family, and he should have stayed with him, but he didn't. What did Jesus do when he was 12 years old, when he was entering into young adulthood? Jesus took initiative. Everybody say initiative. Jesus took initiative, and he went back to the temple. He went back to the house of God. And he began to engage with those who were older than he was. Now, what he did when he engaged with them is he did two things. He teaches us two important communication skills that we must develop and continue to develop, and they are this. Number one, listening. And number two, asking questions. Always remember that the priority in communication is not speaking, but listening. Then you learn how to speak. And so therefore, Jesus went, he showed initiative, and engaged these doctors of the law by listening to them, asking them questions, and then putting together the answers that he got and his own understanding to be able to give them his answers. Jesus considered this, according to Scripture, as a must. He said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Pause for a second with me, please. Jesus, at 12 years old, was not preaching. Jesus was not teaching. Jesus was not performing miracles. Nor was Jesus multiplying fish and loaves. Yet Jesus called what he was doing his father's business. His father's business for this preparation time in his life was that he would be listening and asking questions and learning. Jesus said, this is my father's business. The felt need of those who were in their teenage years and those who were perhaps in Gen Z and, and Gen Y may be to only interact primarily with those who are of your own circle and age group. But if we learn this principle from Jesus to begin to take initiative to interact with those who are older than us, is going to prove to be a great blessing for us. When I, before I got married, I'm celebrating 30 years of marriage right now. This year. It doesn't seem like I've been married that long. Time has really flown by. But I remember before I got married, I went and I began to interview people who had been married 30, 40, 50 years, and I just asked them, how do you do it? How do you stay with the same person all these years and have a successful relationship that doesn't get old, stale, and cold? How do you do that? And I gained wisdom by listening. 
and by asking questions. A young man named Lionel came to my office one day and blessed me. You know how he blessed me? Because he came with a list of questions and he asked me about starting up a business, about the vision of his life, about a financial plan, and he would say, what do you think about this? I would look at what he had for me and I would give him answers and input. And it blessed me because he wanted to know and he gave me the opportunity to share. Sometimes there are people who know what you need to know and they're in a relationship not too far from you, but if you don't initiate sometimes a conversation with them, you might not find out what you need to know. Can I give you a news alert? Okay, when I ask you all a question, that is your opportunity to say yes or respond, okay? But if I ask you a question and you don't respond, then it's just me up here talking. And we're supposed to be in this thing together, right? Connecting people with people, okay? Can I give you all a news alert? Thank you so much. You made me feel right at home. You can't get everything you need off the computer. I can get a lot off of my phone. I can get a lot off of my computer. But the way God has designed us, and we have been made in the image and likeness of God, make no mistake about it, we have been designed for personal interaction. So we need people in our lives to talk to. As a young person in your teens or in your 20s, understand this, that God has a purpose and a plan and a must for your life. It might be for business. It might be in politics. It might be in education. It might be as a professional athlete. It might be as a minister of the gospel. It might be in law enforcement. No matter what area it's in, guess what? There is somebody who can help you with your must. And you say, well, how do I get that help? Well, here's what you do. You initiate a meeting with somebody who's older than you. You walk up to them and go, hey, can I have a few moments of your time? Can I ask you three questions? How do you know more? How can I learn more about God? How can I be a solid Christian and a believer? Teach me more about how do you, how do you read the Bible on a consistent basis and understand it? How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know when God is speaking to you? Should I go to school for this or should I cease my education once I've achieved my bachelor's? Or should I go for my master's? How do you start a business? How do you interact with people who are mean and a little bit cantankerous and nasty? See, it's when you begin to ask these kinds of questions that you're going to get the answers that you need. Jesus teaches us another thing about interacting generationally with those who are older than him. The scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph were, of course, his parents and his caretakers. They were older than him. And after this, this whole scenario at the temple, Jesus went home with them, and the Bible says he was subject to them. One of the ways you interact generationally with those who are older than you is through subjection, Submission and through respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I 
I was just in Harlem and I went by the little shrine they set up for the Queen of Soul. I was. It was beautiful. I took pictures of it. It was beautiful. Aretha. But this is what you need. Respect. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus said to his mother, did you not know? No, she didn't say that. She, yeah, she said, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Jesus said this in so many words. Joseph ain't my daddy. <laughs> Jesus said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business. Uh, just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not going to expand on it. Jesus was a member of a blended family. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> y'all didn't know that, huh? Jesus gave her an answer and said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And that statement, like a 747, went right over Mary and Joseph said, they didn't know what he was talking about. Your father's business is your carpenter. You're in the temple. You're not about your earthly father's business. They didn't get it. And even though he said something from heaven, even though what he was doing was divine, his parents didn't understand it, but because they didn't know, it didn't stop Jesus from going and being subject under their authority. Let me say something to you. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, those who are older, there are some things our young people know and have a grasp on that we don't know. Oh, I knew I wasn't going to get a big amen on that point right there. <laughs> there are some things they know that we don't know that they have learned. When my kids ask me for help with their schoolwork, I just kind of look at it. I try to be interested. <laughs> and then I just go, you know what? I think you need to go and talk to your teacher about this. <laughs> well, you had a statistics class. I know, but that was a little while ago. I think statistics have changed since then. <laughs> They know some things that we may not know. But Jesus, even though he knew something they didn't know, he had the right heart posture and said, the way for me to interact with them appropriately and have a healthy relationship is to understand that God, my Father, put them in authority over me and I have to come under that authority just like when you walked into this building, you came under this roof. See, being subject under authority doesn't mean that the person over you is better than you and you're not, you're not an important uh, integral person, you're not a champion. It doesn't mean that. It simply means that they're there for your protection. They're there so you can grow. Because how do we know this? You know what the scripture says? The scripture says when Jesus went under their authority and became subject to them, he increased, not decreased. He got bigger. He got better. He became more. He increased in favor with God and with men, connecting with God and connecting with people. He learned how to do that better by being under his parents' authority. And he increased in wisdom. Christ is the personification of wisdom, but before he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4, he increased in wisdom the skill of living life. And it happened when he was under authority. Now you can say amen. amen. Young person, you may think your parents don't get you. You may think your parents don't understand. And there are some things they probably don't, but there are some stuff they know. And the main thing you have to understand 
for the most part, is that your parents care for you and that you lo they love you, your guardians care for you, love you, they're looking out for you, and while you're under their home and their authority and their roof for this season in your life, learn to be subject because in doing so, you're going to increase. God's going to increase you. Now, we go to the second stage of Christ's life. This is called the production stage. Say production stage. You're always going to practice things that you learn in the preparation stage, but the production stage is a little bit different. This is between the age of 12 and 29 for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, during this stage, right around age 30, Jesus began his earthly ministry. But until he began his earthly ministry, he just continued to increase in favor with God and with men and get wiser and wiser. And he grew physically as well as in stature. But in the production stage of your life, when he did turn 30, Jesus was able to articulate what his life passion and mission was going to be. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, in his production stage, was able to articulate what he was supposed to do, why he was supposed to do it, and who he was supposed to do it to. In your production stage in life, this is probably when you're out of school. Could be early 20s, mid-20s, maybe even late 20s. You've, you've gotten a career job. You know what you're going to do with your life. Maybe you've gotten married. You've had some children. You have both your feet on the ground. You're able to support yourself, not to where, you know, you're, you're a baller, but you're not running back home every weekend to try to wash your clothes and eat every, all the food in your parents' house or your grandparents' house. You're carving your own way. You're not riding on the coattails of your parents or someone else. You're making your own way. This is your production stage in life. It's when you're in your early 30s and leading up to your 60s. This is that, age, that period of life where you're making your own mark. You're standing on your own two feet. You're blazing your own trail. You're starting to live out what's on the inside of you that God has placed there. And I want to read to you some verses from Matthew 4, 18 and 19 that help us understand what do you do generationally with those who are younger than you in this particular phase and season of life. Is everybody still with me? Yes. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting them then into the sea, for they were fishermen. Everybody say, fishermen. Fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What do we learn from Jesus to interact generationally? We learn this from Jesus. Jesus reached out. Jesus reached out. Jesus, to those who were younger than him, reached out. See, you're probably looking at me and going, well, how do we know that? Because the pictures that we see of the disciples depicts them as these older guys with these big, fluffy, Afro beards, and they just look older. But the disciples were not as old as one might think. See, following a rabbi could begin as early as 12, but not go beyond 20 years of age. 
a, a Jewish man could take a wife at age 18. Peter was the only one of Christ's disciples who was married, which would suggest that the others were under 18. Jesus called his disciples little children in John 13. To say that to a grown Jewish man would be a high insult. So we understand they were younger, and Jesus reached out to them. Years ago, I was at this conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Azusa Street. And it was a, a conference commemorating the outpouring of God's spirit on Azusa Street, Bonnie, Bay, Bonnie Bray Street, and with William Seymour in, in Los Angeles, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was amazing. And it was kind of a, a reenactment, a revival of that. As I was there as a young man, as, he, as a, a young minister, just grasping hold of this call of God on my life, I was there in a the service, and the power of the Spirit of God was there, and I was just there. I was just worshiping God. I was weeping. I was crying, and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm going to use young people. I'm going to use young people. As I heard that, I just intensified my worship and praise, and it encouraged me because I was a younger man than I am now. I'm still a very young man. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> okay? And, 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 and it just encouraged me. But throughout my walk with Jesus, I just keep remembering that statement. I'm going to use young people. And it's caused and crafted my own heart to have a heart for young people. And I do have a heart for young people. I have a heart for old people, older people, young people, middle-aged people, babies. It doesn't matter. I just love people. But I've never forgotten that statement. And it's important that we reach out to younger people. And here, I'll tell you why. Here's the next statement. Here's what we learned from Jesus. You know what we learned from Jesus, secondarily? <laughs> what we learned from Jesus, secondarily, about interacting generationally is this. Jesus, are you ready? Y'all yes. not ready this morning. Y'all supposed to be away. Have you had your coffee? Are you ready? Yes. What we learned from Jesus is this. Jesus believed in younger people. Jesus believed in younger people. See, young Jewish boys would have five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. They would have it memorized. And those who were sharp could go up to a rabbi and request May I follow you? And that rabbi, if he said yes, realized that this is a sharp boy. I want this young man to follow me. When a rabbi lets you follow him, he was in essence saying this. I believe that you can become like me. If a rabbi did not give you an affirmative response and said, no, you cannot follow me, then here's what you had to do. You had to go back home and learn your family trade, whatever that trade was. When Jesus came to these disciples, they were fishing, which was the family trade, which would convey to us that they had attempted to go to a rabbi and request, may I follow you, but they were turned down because that rabbi said, I don't believe in you. 
But Jesus walks up to these misfits, to these who are rejected by religious leaders and those who are supposed to know God and be somebody. And Jesus said, even though they rejected you, even though they wouldn't have you, would you come follow me? Jesus told Peter in John chapter 1, verse 42, he said, you are Cephas. No, he said, you are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas or Peter. You are Simon, which literally means a reed shaking in the wind. Speaks of the instability of character in Peter's life. Don't we see it? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, no, you can't go and be crucified. One moment, he gets a revelation from God. Next moment, Jesus has to rebuke him. Oh, no, I'm not going to deny you. I'll die with you, Jesus. I'm that kind of gangster. I'll die with you. I don't know him. You were with him. But I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I told you I don't know him. Denied him three times. Unstable. But then Jesus said, this is what you are. This is what you're going to be. You're going to become Cephas. You're going to become Peter. You're going to become solid at some point. And he believed in him even when Peter didn't know himself. And this is what we have to do. One of the greatest things that you can do with younger people is articulate your belief and confidence in them as it relates to their potential and what they can become in God's plan. I remember I, I was working in the inner city with some kids and one of the young men, he was a little beautiful Samoan young boy, big guy, his name was Freddie. Freddie had a temper on him and Freddie would chase the other kids around and try to beat them up with baseball bats. He just had a bad temper and, and he just was angry at stuff, family, life. And I said, Freddie, man, I said, Freddie, you can't, you can't keep trying to beat up the other kids, man. You're hurting, you're hurting these kids. And he just had beautiful, big eyes. He just looked at me. I said, Freddie, here's what we're going to do. I want you to be my assistant. I want you to help me coach and lead the rest of these kids. And he got all bright-eyed. Whenever it's time for them to come eat lunch, you go and get them for me, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave him responsibility. All of a sudden, this kid who was beating up kids and chasing them with bats, he was still kind of rough with them, but <laughs> you don't turn into a butterfly overnight. <laughs> but he, he changed. I think it's just simply because he saw someone who believed in him. All of us know the power of someone believing in us. Whether it's a teacher, a coach, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, someone else. If someone believes in you, even though you can't see it, it empowers you. It empowers you to become. There is a man who was homeless. He was sitting in a little doorway. He was just all laid out on the floor and just sitting there 
And this guy walks up and he puts a little stool up and he puts up an easel and he has some, some canvas on it and he begins to paint a picture of this homeless man. And this homeless man is just looking at him like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Go away. He's just sitting there, drunk, dirty, disheveled. Then finally the guy turns the picture around and shows him, and it's the same picture of this homeless man. The picture has him with a haircut, he's clean shaven, he has a suit on. And the homeless man said, if you can see that in me, that that's what I could be, then that's what I'm going to endeavor to do. Sometimes we just need somebody to believe in us, and all younger people and people in general need that. The third thing we learn from Christ is the final stage, and that's to plant a stage. In this stage of life, you're, you're, you're still doing all the wonderful practices in the previous two, but you've gotten a little bit older. There's nothing wrong with that. To get older is a gift from God. <laughs> to get older is a gift and a blessing. To have more time to fulfill your calling and your destiny and your purpose and to reach more people for Christ and to see your children's children grow up and serve the Lord. This is a blessing, dear friend. In this stage of life, you're still producing. You're still 80 years old and saying, where's that mountain so I can take it like Caleb? You're still saying, I'm going to step into a new season like Moses and begin to do everything that God's called me to do. You're still doing that, but in this planet stage, this is the post-resurrection stage of Christ. And when I say planet, of course, all of our minds go to Psalm 92, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will be fresh and flourishing even in their old age, and that's the thought I want you to carry. But Christ now, in this stage of his life, because he didn't live a long time chronologically, is planted at the right hand of God the Father where he's still planted today making intercession for his church. And he is there. And what does Jesus do in that position in this place? Jesus unifies the church. He unifies the church because he called 120 people of different generations from different backgrounds together and said, I want all of you guys to tarry in Jerusalem until you're in due with power from on high. He gave them a promise to latch on to. And he told them, I want you, it doesn't matter what, how old you are, how young you are, where you are in life, come together. And when you're in the planning stage of your life, you have seen a lot. You've experienced a lot of stuff in the planning stage. We call it the planting stage because it reminds us of a tree that's being planted. If you've ever seen a large tree, the, the tree has deep roots that go beneath the surface. And you've learned in life, when you're in this stage of life, that it's not just about what you see on top, it's what's going on in the invisible world. It's what's going on inside of people's hearts that other people cannot see. It's, it, it involves what your motives are, what your aspirations are, what your ambitions are. And you know the importance of that unseen life. You learn beneath the surface how to connect with people who are hard to connect with, how to connect with those who are tender and soft and sensitive. You've learned how to connect with those whom you like and those whom you don't like. You've learned all that in the planet stage. And you know what else? You know the importance of unity? Because if you, thank you, because if, <laughs> if you cut down a tree and look, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see circles. And those, you know what those circles represent? Those circles represent years 
of different seasons that tree has endured. And in the planted stage of life, you have endured people lying on you. You've endured having a lot and having a little. You've endured family difficulties in your immediate, extended, and in the other side of the family as well. You've endured loss. You've gone to too many funerals. You've understood what's really important in life is not about how big your house is, how many cars you drive, how much money you have in the bank. You've understood what's most important is God and people. And you understand that people hurt you, that you've been hurt, and that people have made mistakes. But you understand that it's more important to show mercy as opposed to giving judgment. You see parents, they're so hard on their kids and you realize in this planet stage I remember when my parents were hard on me and it broke my spirit and so I don't want to do that. I want to be softer. I want to try to understand. I want to pray more. I want to get on my knees and stop complaining. I don't want to complain about what I don't like about the family or about church or about anything else. I'm going to do this and in the planet stage, those circles of your life reveal all that. So you learn to unify people and bring the people who are younger and in the middle age of life and those who are on the other side, bring them together because this is what Jesus did. And then you get to proclaim his promises. You get to tell them stories of what Christ did for you. My grandmother used to tell me stories and I would listen. I didn't understand them all. But she would tell me stories. She'd give me sayings. She'd say, baby. She didn't even have an elementary school education. She'd say, baby, everything that shines ain't gold. <laughs> and then she would explain. She would just teach me wisdom. My parents have done it. My mother said, the key of living is giving. You understand things and you begin to transfer. And see, in the planet stage of life, and I'm coming to a close, I hope somebody can get on the keyboard. <laughs> According to the Bureau. <laughs> did something happen I didn't see? <laughs> According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average large company is going to lose 30 to 40% of its workforce over the next five to 10 years. According to statistics, they're going to say by 2020, half of the workforce is going to be millennials. And there's something that's happening. Baby boomers are starting to retire now. Some of them can't retire because they're still helping their kids pay off college debt and college loans. But a lot are retiring. That bill bore witness to somebody over there. <laughs> Just say hallelujah and don't look around. <laughs> this dynamic that's, that's happening is called brain drain. Brain drain is you have people who work for the company 35, 40 years and they retire and they take with them the years of experience of working through the ranks to achieve a certain particular level. And then you have on the other side these who are coming out of college who have all the book knowledge that they need and all the knowledge of technology they need, but they don't have the experiential life lived out kind of knowledge because they haven't done it yet. So you have these who know a lot leaving, these who also know some stuff but don't know everything coming in. It's called brain drain. There's two things, there's two types of knowledge. Explicit knowledge, that's knowledge when you have to read a manual and learn how something works. Then there's tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is when someone tells you something and then you learn because they told you. 
Nobody gave you a manual on how to talk. You learn how to talk by listening to others around you talk through relationship. And this is what God wants for those who are in their production stage to do. Give tacit knowledge. Connect and give what you know. Because you can, everybody cannot read what they need in a book to learn how to live by faith and walk with God and trust the God who is invisible. But you have to be able to tell them the stories. There is a young person, and I'm going to use this as my last story here, and I'm going to give an altar call. There is a grandmother, she had a Bible. Her grandson looked in the Bible, and he said, Grandmama, how come you have T and P written next to certain verses in the Bible? Grandmother said, oh, baby, that's easy. The T stands for tried, and the P stands for proven. I tried what God said, and I've proven it. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And this is what we need to be able to Articulate, preparation stage, production stage, planning stage. Can you bow your heads with me, please? I've gone a little bit over my time. Sorry for that. I'm going to just go into a brief invitation right now. For those of you who might be here today, perhaps you got invited by a family member or a friend, and you came to check out this great church. I pray this is not your last time here, but more importantly, the heart of this church is to see people connect with God. And if you're here this morning, and you have a chasm in your heart. You're empty on the inside. You realize something is missing in your life, yet you cannot identify what it is. And you've tried to fill that void in your heart with relationships and, and maybe drugs and alcohol and maybe relations, uh, more relationships. You've tried to fill it with social media likes and, and friends and things of that nature and, and trying to do it through fashion or bodybuilding or just fitness extreme sports, whatever it is, you try so many things and it's still there. So, what you're looking for is not a thing, nor is it an it, it is a person, his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. He is the one who takes away that eternal thirst and hunger on the inside of you that no other thing temporally can do. He is your answer to all of your questions. He is your solution to all of life's problems, but he does not force his way into your life. He comes by invitation. So will you today, in clear mind as you sit here, accept Jesus and choose him? It's my encouragement that you do. I want to know who I might pray with this morning who is ready to accept Jesus Christ into their heart to be their Savior and Lord and have a relationship with God that is alive and real and genuine. If you want to pray a short, sincere, and simple prayer, when you hear me say three, I want you to raise your hand up high. Ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand up if you feel that shoe. I see that hand there. 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 Thank you, and God bless you. Is there other hands? Are there other hands? I want to see them. Just kind of wave them. I see that hand. Thank you, and God bless you. I see your hand there. Thank you, and God bless you. I see another hand. Let me go ahead and lead you in a prayer. I'm going to give you the words. You simply mean them with sincerity from your heart. Here we go. Pray these words out loud after me. Congregation, let's pray with them. Say, dear God in heaven, with all of my heart, I believe that you love me, and that you sent Jesus to die in my place on the cross. I believe that through his shed blood, all my sins are forgiven. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me for cleansing me and making me a new creation. 
It's in your name I pray.